Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. So we're carrying on a series um, that Chris started a few weeks ago called the I Am Statements of Jesus. So this is about, basically the question we're asking is, who is this man? And I started to think, um, and he gave me a passage in scripture in John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, you're probably going to need it because we're going to go through the whole of John chapter 8 in like 20, 25 minutes today. I know Chris did the whole of the Old Testament in 10 minutes, so apparently I should be able to do this, but um, who knows how that's going to go. So get them out from your phone if you've got them, or there are Bibles over there. There's a few Bibles over there by the cross if you still want a paper one. Um, They can help you a little bit, and they certainly help me. So the question is, who is this man? This is what this series is all about, getting to know Jesus. And I think that knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are two different things. And so as we explore how Jesus interacted when he was on this earth and how he interacted with the people who connected or communicated with him, we find out a little bit more about Jesus. But that doesn't always mean that we actually know him. So my encouragement to you all this evening is as we explore John chapter 8, and I really recommend you you go away and read this as well, after because we're really going to do an overview tonight. Um, Think about those areas of your life where you might know about him, but you might not yet know him. Um, When I was growing up, I knew Jesus maybe even before, I knew about him maybe even before I could speak. I knew he could perform miracles because I fell off a wall and cracked my head open and I heard my parents praying and there wasn't a scratch on me at the hospital. So I was very young when I knew he could do miracles. I knew he could. Um, I knew he died for my sins at a very young age, but I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't even know what kind of my sins were, except for the fact that I got distracted really easily and wasn't wasn't very quick at um, responding when my parents told me to do something. But that's because there were things like squirrels and other exciting things to distract me. And I knew that I li- I was going to be living a life that would be answerable to God one day. But again, I didn't really know what, who Jesus was. I just knew about him. But guys, to know Jesus, to, to know him, it, it changes everything. So as we learn about him and as we see the way that he speaks and the way that he interacts and the things that he says, just have in the back of your mind what it would be like to know him and to know him intimately and personally in your life. Because before that, before I did that, before I got down on my knees and said, Jesus, I want to open my heart to you and I want to know you and be known by you in a way I can't even imagine right now because it's this concept over here I don't understand. I realized that everything that I had built my life on was nothing without him. And I realized that as my life lay um, broken by life that had gone by, I realized that Jesus was, was enough and that his love, his fierce love for me that I had only just began to discover in this 
beginning to know him for myself was enough. And it was enough for everything that I had faced and that I would face in this life. So when we look at this series of of the things that Jesus is going to be speaking to us, and the I am statements of Jesus, just have in the back of your mind what what that really means and how that really applies to, to our lives and our knowledge of him. So John chapter 8. I don't know if you remember the last time I spoke, I mentioned about hyperlinks. I went on a bit about the Bible project and that I love them and that they spoke about hyperlinks in the Bible. Now, when I, when I talk about hyperlinks, I talk about something in scripture that says something and you understand that it says something, but what it's really doing is telling you way more than the sentence and the words you, that you see in front of you because it's actually going back to a time in the Bible where it's giving you way more piece of information. And this, um, John 8, is one where this happens a lot because Jesus is speaking in this chapter and he's having a, a discussion, you could call it a discussion, more like an argument with the Pharisees. So there are two groups of people. Well, there's Jesus and then a group of people, Jesus and the Pharisees. And so this whole chapter from beginning to end is this debate and this encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And we learn a lot about who he is by the way he interacts, but also what he says. And he says some things that make a bit of sense, but make way more sense when you link them back to the Old Testament. So that's a little bit about what we're going to do, because what Jesus did is he did this a lot. He was the final piece of this unbelievable puzzle that God created where he brought all these pieces together and he put all these plans in place and then there's Jesus and Jesus was was that piece of the puzzle that that completed this plan that God had for eternity Um, and Jesus wanted people to know that and so he spoke to people in using the Old Testament scriptures because that was really helped to be able to understand and the people that he was speaking to knew the scriptures really well because they were the Jewish people. And, um, and also because he wanted people to understand that he was the final piece of the puzzle. So sometimes if you just look at what Jesus said out of the context of the whole of the Bible, it can seem a bit confusing. But in context, you have these aha moments that make heaps of sense. So that's why I speak about hyperlinks and why... We're going to look a little bit at the Old Testament for a little bit of time today as well. So the context of John chapter 8, like I said, it was an argument between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it began in a quite unbelievable way. Jesus was teaching in the temple at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and um, the um, the Pharisees did this. The Pharisees brought in, and this is John chapter 8, verse 3 to 6, if you're in your Bible. The Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Like Seriously, start the chapter off like that. Um, that's an argument that has, certainly has a, um, a tenseness to it that's already began. This group of people have just dragged in a woman who was caught in adultery 
to prove a point and to win an argument. So, um, and they wanted to, to trip, trip up Jesus because basically in this argument or in this question, they were saying, look, the law of Moses says that you need to kill this woman. There was no reference to, to the man or how they were caught or anything like that. This was, she was purely a, a pawn in an argument which shows an immense lack of compassion. And, um, and I don't know about you, but can you imagine um, being Jesus in that situation and, and seeing this unfold um, and what that would do? So the argument was always going to be tense because um, there was a level of injustice at play and there was something that was happening and people were being used in ways they should never be used. And Jesus is never impressed with that. So they're trying to trick Jesus and, um, because in the, the law says that they should be stoned, but the Roman law said um, that the Jewish uh, religious police couldn't put anyone to death, which is why Jesus had to go to um, a, a Roman trial to be, to be put to death. And so um, they were like, we're going to trick him. This is what it's going to be. This is gonna, argument's going to be over very soon. Jesus didn't respond to that in any way. And in fact, in this whole story was the only person who actually addressed the woman and remembered that she was there and spoke to her. He diffused the situation. He wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. There has been lots of speculation. I could probably give you a list of five things or reasons why Jesus knelt on the, down, on the ground. Some commentaries say it's because he was adopting a position of, of humility to... Um, to accept the woman with where she was and other commentaries say different things. But what we know is that Jesus diffused the situation, addressed the woman, had compassion on her and, and showed something that hadn't yet been seen or given to this woman um, in that story. And so we've learned something about Jesus. Even in an argument, when someone's trying to prove a point, this wasn't about the woman. This was about this was about winning the argument, and Jesus completely ignored that and, and continued on. So this is the beginning of John chapter 8, and it only, surprisingly, it only gets more intense from there, this conversation, because um, as you can imagine, I don't think Jesus, I can't imagine Jesus would have been that impressed with the situation as it was. Um, and he says some things in the rest of the chapter that seem quite harsh, but when we read this chapter, let's read it in the context of how this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees started, because it helps us to understand some of the things that Jesus is going to say later on. So who were the Pharisees? <laughs> we know a lot about them, and we do know them as the baddies um, in, in Scripture. They're often referred to in, um, in very negative ways by Jesus throughout the Gospels. So, so who were they? Um, I don't know if you remember Chris... He gave a talk, at the beginning talk of this series, and he managed to say the whole of the Old Testament in 10 minutes, which I still think is incredible. And if you haven't heard the podcast, I really would recommend it. But he spoke about a period of time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, um, 400 years, where um, we don't know much and nothing is written in Scripture. Now, it's at that time between 167 and 165 BC, that the Pharisees were formed as a group. So they're not that old a group of people. Um, and they were formed through or are just after the Maccabean revolt, um, led by Judah Maccabee, who again, Chris said, was a, 
was a better rebel than a leader and um, the Maccabean Revolt only lasted about five years. Interestingly, the Maccabean Revolt started with um, the priest, the Jewish priest, actually killing Jews, not killing Greeks. It started as a civil war against the Jewish people who were, um, who were um, doing or pay, giving worship to pagan gods that the Greeks asked them to do. So we've already established this quite harsh, harsh um, restrictions put in place against people who go against God's law. And the Pharisees adopted this on and became this group of people. They became the, the guardians of the law. And so I think if you've got the... So there were, there were two laws that the Pharisees, you can't really see the top, but it just says the Pharisees. The written law and the oral law. Now the oral law was um, law given down through generations, the spoken law or or kind of precepts or customs that had been adopted into society. Now, this oral law, they held to very high esteem, but they believed that keeping the law would bring eternal life, keeping the law in its absolute fullness. So they were incredibly strict to the letter of the law. And what they did with the oral law is they did something called hedging. So they created uh, a... um, other laws to protect the main law that they didn't want to break. So they, they were pretty tough because they were like, we cannot break this law because this law means we're going to die. So what we're going to do is we're going to put 10 laws around this law to make sure that we never break the law that's actually going to kill us. But we'll probably say that you're going to die if you break those ones too. Um, and so suddenly there's these additions to the written law. Now, um, Jesus, we know from the gospel, we actually know from Matthew, wasn't actually impressed with the way they interpreted the law. Because you've got to remember that the law was re- in Exodus was revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai. And that law was, was the beginning of the revelation of who God was to his people. So that law was, was never meant to be interpreted in the way that the Pharisees then interpreted them. So suddenly an idea of who God is is very distorted um, by the way that the Pharisees are interpreting. Actually, Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings and you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance to those trying to enter. So Jesus has issue with the Pharisees, not because they're Pharisees, but because the way that they've interpreted the law has has caused significant harm to his people and has hurt them deeply. So um, his issue is not with the law. Jesus' issue is not with the law. It is with the interpretation of the written law by the Pharisees. So back to chapter 8, we pick it up in the midst of the debate in John chapter 8. We're going to be at, we're going to skip quite a few verses and go to John chapter 8, where the Pharisees are arguing about who their father is. They had this big debate. It was really important for them to tell, to tell Jesus who their father was. So they say, our father is Abraham. And then Jesus says, no, he's not. Your father is not Abraham, because if your father was Abraham, then you would love the fact that I'm here because Abraham looked forward to me coming. And so they're like, oh, that's annoying. Because Jesus, they insulted Jesus. The words that they used were insults. But Jesus responded with humility, responded always pointing to God, and responded with truth. 
And that's, again, something that we can remember when we're confronted with opposition. So, um, and then they go, okay, no, no, Abraham's not my father. God is our father. God is our father. And, um, and Jesus is like, nah, God is not your father. Because if God was your father, you would know who I was because I come from the father. So suddenly, like everything that they're saying is being combated with truth from Jesus. And this chapter is becoming, certainly if you're the Pharisees, more and more annoying um, because it just seems that they can't win. So then in verse 44, Jesus actually says something that's pretty tough. He says, look, Abraham isn't your father and God is not your father. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This argument is seriously heating up. Because if you were on the side of that and you had made it your life's work to study the law and be a guardian of the law, and you were pretty proud of the fact that you knew it better than anyone else, you knew it so well that you told other people how to keep the law, and you judged them when they didn't, and suddenly you've got someone turning around and saying, you do not represent my father. You do not even remotely represent him. And says, I think the reason that um, Jesus is so strong is because, one, the precedent of this argument that started at the beginning of John 8, with the misuse of his children for argument's sake. And I think the other is that Jesus has a real issue when people misrepresent the Father to him and to others. They misrepresent God to his people, and that is when the issue comes in. And that is something we have to be so careful about in our lives. Um, What other extra laws are we adding to the laws that we think that we need that are misrepresenting who God is to others? We talk in this um, day and age sometimes about making a stand for this or making a stand for that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't make stands or stand for truth in particular situations. But how are we representing God the Father in this world? And are we, are we making it available for people to come to know him? Or are we actually locking the kingdom of heaven? And I think that's something that we've got to be so careful about and constantly explore in our own lives. And so then the argument continues. Jesus starts to talk about who he really is. So he said who the Pharisees aren't. Now he's saying who he is. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Jesus was not about me, I'm awesome. He was about my father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham 50 years old being the age of a leader in Jewish times. So they were like, what are you talking about? You do not have any right to say this. And then Jesus says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. First thing to note, Jesus is always, always, always pointing people towards the Father. He did this in this whole debate. People were insulting him and they were attacking him. And he said, it's not about me. I don't need to win this argument. I don't need that. I just do what God, what the Father in heaven is telling me. But he says two remarkable statements in this final verse. He claims, he says, before Abraham was born, as in he claims to be eternal and to have existed before Abraham, who the Jewish people considered the father of their faith. And he also says, I am. Jesus called himself by the ancient title ascribed only to God himself, I am. Now, this, this name for God was first revealed in Exodus 3, verse 14. So this is that hyperlink I was talking about at the beginning that we can go back and see, okay, what does Jesus... Jesus just said, I am. What does that mean? So if you flick in your Bibles to Exodus 3, verse 13, we'll read the passage where God reveals his name. And Exodus is this unbelievable book, which we have done a series on this year. I think... Um, Eight, eight, um, eight um, talks or ten, I'm not sure. But the thing that's unbelievable about Exodus is that Exodus is probably one of these, those times in Scripture where God reveals himself to his people in a way never before, that's never been seen before. He just starts to say, guys, this is who I am. And he does it using his name. He says, he I think many of you will have heard in Christian context, Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Shammah. I am the God who provides. I am the Lord, your banner. I am the God who heals. This is throughout the whole of Exodus. God is revealing himself to his people. But he starts in Exodus 3, verse 14, verse 13. And Moses, Moses asked God a question. God has just asked Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. And Moses is like, mm, hang on one second. This isn't going to work for me. And he asks him a re- God a really important question. He says, I am going to, the, this is verse 13, I am going to the sons of Israel and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. The name of the God of Israel forever is I am. And when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, that is exactly who Jesus is saying he is. So this is a moment in scripture where you might come across some people or some different um, religious groups who say that Jesus never said he was God in scripture. He actually did, and he said it right here. And the reason that, and you know that the Pharisees knew that he was saying that, because in the next verse it says, and they picked up stones to stone him. So the Pharisees knew that Jesus was saying he was God. It's one of those mic drop moments where everyone around has just gone, wait one second. You just said, you, you have said all these things and you have been, 
you have said these things that have combated every bit of truth, I believe, but now, in front, on top of all of this, you're now saying that you are God. This is too much. So why is this, you know, why is Jesus being God so significant? Because in Exodus 3, verse 14, we see God reveal himself to his people in a way he'd never been seen before. Before Exodus 3, verse 14, God was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But after Exodus 3, verse 14, he actually had a name. And in that time, in, um, uh, in that religious traditions of the time, naming God was immensely significant. The reason Moses asked for the name of God was because people believed that the names of their gods, when they said their name, there was power in their name. And so, so Moses was asking for, God, what's your name? Because you're asking me to do this thing, and a nameless God isn't going to cut it. I need your name. And so God says, here's my name. And so that's when God started to show and reveal who he really was to his people. That's in Exodus 3 verse 14. And then 2,000 or so years later, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And the thing that's so significant about this is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God was. So God has just spent thousands of years across the whole of, from Exodus to John, revealing who he, who he was. And with Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am, it's actually the, the culmination or the climax of his self-revelation to his people. This was it. So basically everything that we've seen throughout God in the whole of the Old Testament, everything we've seen who, who he is in the person of Jesus, you could see it in technicolor. Suddenly God was saying, guys, this is me and I'm here. It's, all, it's the missing piece in the, in the puzzle, the puzzle that I was talking about, the one that puts everything together and helps you see the picture so much clearer. So back to the, um, back to the Pharisees. Why did they throw stones at Jesus to kill him? Because they were legalists, so they could not have tried to kill him if he was just annoying. They wouldn't have done that. There would have had to have been a reason for them trying to kill him. So the true pronunciation of the name of God, the name of God that was revealed in Exodus 3 verse 14, um, was actually lost many, many centuries ago. Maybe, certainly before the second century BC, because the name had been, because it said in scripture, do not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God in vain, the Jewish people took that to mean that if they ever said his name, that... Um, that they would be at risk of death. And so in honour, in, for the sake of honour and reverence, by the, by the beginning of the second century, you, couldn't, you weren't allowed to say his name, not in vain or anything, you just weren't allowed to say it. If you said his name, you would die. And ultimately, the pronunciation of, of the name of God was lost. And I think if you think about this for a second, God chose to reveal his name to his people we didn't know his name before and he revealed his name. And so suddenly being afraid to say it or putting other laws in place to prevent you ever breaking that law that was so sacred, um, we actually lost the, na- the, the name of God, the way to pronounce the name, the name of God and worship him, a gift that he'd given us. So sometimes you can see how legalism 
or adding things to what God says can, can, can stop us from being able to take hold of the things that God really has for us. So again, it's a really good idea to explore in our own lives where we've kind of put these things in place that have become barriers to us being able to connect with God on a deeper level. And I think that's, it's something that's really interesting. Sometimes religion gets in the way of who God is. And that is the challenge that Jesus was giving to the Pharisees. You have taken God out of, you have taken my father out of the law, his heart, and you have withheld him from my people. And I think that when you focus on the things that are wrong and not on the person who sets you free, sometimes that can happen. We're too busy trying to prove what is wrong than what is right. We can do, we can do a lot in this modern age, focus on the things that are bad and the things we must stand against, the things we must not let infiltrate our lives. And in the, mean, in the midst of speaking about all these things, we forget to do one thing, and that is to talk about Jesus and point people to who Jesus really is. So what, I mean, this is in a, in a very, like I said, a very short-formed overview, but what are some of the things that we learn from this passage? I think one thing I really want to say is that we live in a world of goodies and baddies. Um, the Marvel movies, which I love, are perfect examples of that. There are goodies and there are baddies, and it is very easy for us to say the Pharisees are baddie, baddies. And I think, I think in the next slide, we actually use the term Pharisees as an insult for people that are too legalistic these days. But if you've got the next slide, Josh. Oh, is there one after? This one. So, every single different denomination of people are calling the other denomination the Pharisees, the ones that have got it wrong and we've got it right, and they've got it wrong, and we've got it right, and the, the cycle goes on. I think we have to be um, careful to realize that Jesus wasn't attacking, he wasn't attacking, Jesus wasn't having a debate and an argument with these people because they were Pharisees. They were just people like me and you and who had a lot of set beliefs that they had decided to adhere to, and they really believed it would give them eternal life. The problem is it lacked compassion. It was full of pride. There was hypocrisy. There were these things that Jesus was challenging against and could never, was always coming against when he was speaking to them, and that's why they seem like they're the baddies. But there were Pharisees that um, had very teachable hearts and that, that turned to Jesus and followed him. So it's not about what you've grown up believing or where you come from or what you believe right now um, because I, I guarantee none of us have got it all right. I guarantee even things that I have said today, you will look at and go, I'm not sure about that. That is completely okay. The thing about it is, do we have teachable hearts? Have we got hearts that are open to allow Jesus to teach us? Do we actually want to know him or do we just want to know about him? And this is something to, to remember. It's our heart attitude towards God, not 
where we stand or our list of things that we believe or don't believe. It's about knowing him. I think that this exchange could have looked very different if a posture of humility had been taken by the Pharisees. Sorry, we don't get what you're saying. We have no idea, but talk to us. And that is what some people did. We're just shown an encounter where that didn't happen. And Josh, if you go back to the um, slide before. So we see, a, we see a lack of compassion, especially with the example of the woman caught in adultery. We see an immense amount of pride. We didn't read this, but if you read through the whole of John chapter 8, they, they actually accused Jesus of being demon-possessed, which is the worst thing that you can do. At that time, that was the biggest insult you could give, and they were just like, just throwing it at him. And, and hypocrisy, locking the law and not entering, locking the kingdom of heaven and not entering the kingdom of heaven for others. In John chapter 8, verse 34 to 36, we're going back a bit. Jesus actually says, Truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's interesting, isn't it, that this, this verse that we read and know so much in like in our Christian culture today, actually comes about in, the, in this discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so I think I wanted to conclude everything that we were exploring by looking at freedom and what freedom really means to be free in Christ. Now, there was another famous Pharisee who became an ambassador for Christ and ultimately died for him. He became one of the most powerful and fearless ambassadors for Christ, and that was Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul grew up believing everything that um, these guys were talking to Jesus about. And Paul kind of expounds on the words that Jesus says about freedom. In Galatians 5, verse 1 to 6. So if you want to turn with your Bibles to Galatians 5. It says, Paul says, remember, a reformed Pharisee, now follower of Jesus, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, as in adding things to the law that you don't need. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, as in adhere to the law, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So... We're looking at freedom and we're looking at the conversations that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And we're like, how do we, what, what are we meant to do? What are we not meant to do? What are we meant to stick to or not stick to? And Paul expounds on that in a really powerful way. He says that the only thing that counts is faith. Faith in who Jesus is and what he did for us, expressing itself through love. If we're in a debate and we are standing up for our faith or 
or whatever encounter we might find ourselves in this world, and we don't, and we explore the way we're interacting and it is not through love, then we need to look at how we're doing that. We need to look at it and we need to come to Jesus and we need to say, Jesus, for me, freedom is faith expressing itself through love. So if I am not doing that, then there is a level of freedom I have yet to find in you. Can you help me find it? That's the thing that Paul is talking about in this verse. So in conclusion, how do we wrap up all that we've learned and explored? Because like we have jumped around the whole of John chapter 8, which has so much more in it than I have talked about. We've explored the person of Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation of God to this world. He is God. He is technicolor from everything we read in the Old Testament. We've seen the way that he interacts to opposition to the, with the Pharisees, and we've seen the way he responds to pride with humility, lack of compassion with compassion, and hypocrisy with freedom. So we've seen that. And we've explored how he's interacted in that space. So then I want to bring it back to what I said at the, at the very beginning. Um, it's good to know about Jesus because the more we know about Jesus, the more we learn from him. But it's really good to know him. And so I think um, throughout this whole time of exploring John chapter 8, I think one of the things I was really praying for and hoping for was that within the exploration of the different verses and different chapters that in some way God would reveal himself to you in a way that you might not have known before or in a deeper way or in a way that sheds light into, into an area of your life that you're like, wow, I didn't realize that. And so that's my prayer and I think that's what I want to explore a bit tonight with you guys in prayer is to see if there's anything within our own lives that God wants to reveal more of himself to us. Or maybe he wants to introduce himself to us for the first time and be like, I know you know of me, but let's meet and let's talk. And so if, if you're in either of those categories, and even if you're not, um, the prayer really is, and the time that we're going to spend now in prayer is really just saying, God, um, I want to know you more, and I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. Because in that, there is freedom, and maybe a freedom I have never yet experienced before. So let's take some time to ask God to reveal something of himself to each one of us here today.